You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to join us here today. So I call out to the energy of the ancestors, to all of those people who were here before us, who lived well and died well, and who returned to us to bring us the legacy of these lives lived so that we might learn from those who have gone before us. I call out to these ancestors to bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives, that we may feel their strength, their reassurance, that we may know their wisdom and and that we may be inspired to go forward in new ways in our lives, in ways that have not been lived before. So we call out to these ancestors to be strong and true, a foundation under our feet and a deep grounding in the collective wisdom of humanity that we might learn and know what has been done before that allowed people to move forward in time into times of abundance and plenty and to know the mistakes of humanity that brought times of darkness uh, the removal of rights the taking of freedoms and bringing pain and suffering to others so we ask these ancestors who were there to be here with us now And to help us to be present in a way that we will make the choices that make this time a time of legend, a time that our own descendants will reach back to, to be inspired in their lives. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us in this way today, that we might find the greater goodness within ourselves and rise to it. And I call out to that most ancient and precious ancestor, the earth, who was here long before any human ancestor. We call out to the energy of the earth and give thanks for the wonder of this day, the beauty of the seasons changing, the incredible capacity for things on this planet to engage and interact and to move together. We give thanks for the dreaming that created a place where transformation was possible. We give thanks to this dreaming that created a place where innovation and creativity was the nature of the humans. And we give thanks to a place where beauty is found in all things, even those things that seem at first to be suffering or a problem. We call out to the earth to be with us in that way. So we give thanks to the earth for grounding, for place, for belonging. We give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection and for this opportunity to find our place as one part of this great web of life to know ourself as part of this oneness and we ask the earth to help us to draw up the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn to be here in a good way and we draw the energy of the earth up through our bodies and out through our heart and the top of our head and all the way through the sky the atmosphere and the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we call that power let's call it down calling it down into our lives Bringing in divine blessing, bringing in protection, bringing in generosity and benevolence and the ability to be generous people 
that can feel the energy of gratitude and awe in each moment. So we call in this energy from above and we draw down the energy of the sky and bring this energy into our body to mix with the energy of the earth. And in this way, we call into ourselves the energy of the Tao, of wholeness, to be within us. And we ask the energy of the earth and sky to mix to the exact perfect blend for us today that we might be in balance and go forward ourselves in a good way. And with this energy filling us, And inspiring us, we call out to the energy of the heart. And may the spirit of the heart be with us here today. And let the heart be the crucible that it is. It is the only place within us that is able to hold the fiery passions of the belly and the lower chakras. To bring to us our feelings of passion, our desire to do what we have come here to do without knowing yet what that is. And to bring those energies up into the heart. And to draw down down the energies of the mind. To bring in clarity and focus and inspiration and illumination into bring these energies into the heart and let these energies dance together and give birth to that third and most essential energy which is your unique genius and may you find in your heart the courage to live that genius and to bring your gifts to the world so we give thanks to all of these spirit energies gathering around us here today may what needs to be said be said what needs to be heard be heard and may all these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things I have such gratitude for this day, and I also want to ask for the grace of weather and technology to work together here today in a good way so that my signal doesn't get dropped because we are having some big weather here in Portland. And so I ask the spirit of weather to be with us and to ask of spirit of technology to co-create with these energies that we might go forward today without interruption. So I want to give thanks to those of you here in the human realm who help the show stay alive. I give thanks to Helena and Joan and John and to all of the listeners who have donated to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way today, if it moves you in any way, even into irritation or anger or into inspiration and motivation, however it moves you in the heart, I ask you to allow yourself to be moved into action because this is the essence of shamanic teachings, that we understand that true power is mediated in the heart and that true power moves us into action in our lives. So if you'd like to donate to the show to help to keep it on the air, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button and donate any amount, large or small, every single uh, drop of currency in, in whatever form it comes in is greatly appreciated to keep the show on the air. And all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. I want to give thanks to Co-Creator Network for being there for us and making the shows happen. And I also want to give thanks to those of you that are sending in questions, that are sharing the show with your friends, that are allowing the show to grow in your everyday ordinary reality networks and in your um, cyberspace networks. And I want to give particular thanks to Bill at Shaman's Well for helping to support the show. And just to all of you that are linking to the show site and making connections and sharing the shows, all of this is important if we are going to understand what it is that humanity is calling out of us at this time. So thank you all for helping the show to stay alive. And I've, I've been getting a lot of questions about um, downloading the show. And, you know, these shows are kind of all over the place. So, but the one place where they all are is at whyshamanismnow.com and you should be able to download the show from there, from the show website. Um, if things go funny at iTunes, don't ask me because they won't even talk to me. Um, but 
the show site should be good um, for um, iPod and non-iPod users. All of the shows since um, April of 2010 are, at, are also at the co-creatornetwork.com site. And um, the earlier shows um, can be found um, on iTunes, but also on the show site. So they're kind of all over the place. So um, don't hesitate to go to one of the other places to download a show if you can't get it to work on iTunes. Okay. So with that said, um, yes, today's show is live and you are invited to call in. The number is 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, and you are also welcome to email me at Christina at lastmasscenter.org. And thank you all for your questions, even those that come after the fact, since I know many of you do just simply download the shows and listen later. All right, so last week we were talking about shamanic activism and how to bring shamanic skills and ideas to bear on the Occupy Wall Street movement, on the the global Occupy Wall Street movement or the local Occupy Wall Street movement. Our guest was Lenore Norgard, and um, we talked about sort of what is and, and how to approach that and see that from a shamanic perspective. And this week, I'd like to continue this conversation because the, the Occupy movement itself is making huge, a huge transformation right now. And I would like to respond to that. And then next week, um, we're going to do a third and, and final part for now before we go into the winter time. Uh, well, at least on the Northern Hemisphere. For those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, you're going into summertime. Um, so this week, what I'd like to talk about is this this place, this vulnerable place that we are between what was, which was standing up and getting attention all over the globe. It's really quite phenomenal. So the standing up and getting attention, and ultimately down the road, there is some action, some sort of something that will happen. And we are in this place in the middle. We are in a place of transition and a place of potential transformation and change. And the thing about transitional places is energy is always either lost or gained in transition. By, and, and that is determined by how we attend to the transition itself. And one of the main things we need to do is recognize that we are in transition. So that's what I'm talking about today is clearing the way. How do, we, how do we attend to this time of transition and clear the way to be able to take some kind of restorative action when we move into this place of taking action that will move us, ideally, for me, from my humble perspective, in, into transformation. Now, I would like to present to you all my general opinion about everything, which is that at this time, change is not enough, that we must reach for transformation and we must co-create transformation. And by that, what I mean is exactly what we laugh about in every other show. Change is when you ended that relationship, either with a person or a job or something and went on to a new relationship or a new job and recreated all the old patterns in a new way. That's change. But it's still the old patterns. And transformation is being willing to stop between the prior relationship and the one that is coming or the prior situation and the one that is coming and attend to that time of transition 
in a way that sets you up for transformation in the new relationship or the new job or in in the framework of the Occupy movement in the new world. How do we truly create the new world? And isn't it fascinating, everyone, that this movement is happening around the world at a time when most of the surviving indigenous people have prophecies talking about how this is the time of change and transformation, the end of one era and the beginning of another. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it fascinating how the prophecies of these ancient people come to play out in the world? So what is going on then in this time of transition from a shamanic perspective? So part of what we talked about last week is that, which remains true now, is that people are fed up. They're fed up with injustice. They're fed up with inequalities in the system. They're fed up with the pain of their friends and loved ones who have lost homes or lost pensions or whatever, and, or, or lost their lives in wars that make no sense, right, that are bankrupting the country that are not really creating any change we all would feel necessarily good about in the world. This isn't like World War II when everyone, everyone felt righteous around fighting this evil threat. These are economic, you know, that was an economic war too, but these are economic wars where we wonder what are we fighting for? So there's great pain and suffering in, made worse by the inequalities and the injustices in the system. And so, and at the same time, though, people aren't really sure where these things are coming from. Like the source of the problem isn't one or two layers down from the surface where the symptoms are presenting. It's like many of the illnesses we experience today, that the actual source of the problem is many layers away from the symptoms that present. And so people are, know they're in pain and frustration and feeling the injustice of things, but they don't exactly know where the source is. And people are inspired by a new ability to organize through social networking and the internet and various technological advances and to gather funds, to support movements, and simply to move people as a group. Um, as we've watched all over the globe this year, it's been phenomenal, right? So, so there's great opportunity. But now what? And I don't mean what should the demands be. This is quite, this show is quite the contrary to that. And... I want to make one point right now. If you have never stepped up to lead people for any real period of time, if you've never even organized a family reunion, for example, then you don't actually understand how big a deal this is. You have no idea, if you have not led, how hard it is to lead people. It's like parenting. We have no idea how hard it is to parent and all that is involved and how selfless and how much sacrifice is involved in good parenting. If you've never parented, you cannot prepare for that. And leadership is very much the same, right? You have no idea if you have not led how hard it is to organize people. And this is particularly true for Americans because of our culture's generally immature relationship with individuality. Nonetheless, it is excruciatingly painful, thankless, frustrating, and often a waste of time 
to bother to step up and lead. So, for example, here in Occupy Portland, there were two parks in, right in the middle of downtown, which were really a perfect location, that were fully occupied. And then somebody decides they want to occupy another park somewhere in the city. And they got kicked out. And then they tried to occupy another park, and they got kicked out. And, and people were talking about this, oh, wasn't the city terrible for kicking them out? And I said, no, the city was right. I said, those people have never led. Because at this point, the Occupy movement had been encamped in Portland for three or four weeks. And I'm sorry, for those of you that don't know, Oregon is rainy. It's cold and rainy right now. So we've got people camped out in tents in the rain for three or four solid weeks. And these people are starting their own movement over here. If they believed in the movement and had any understanding about leadership, they would have come on downtown to the camps that were already encamped and asked, how could they help? How could they give the people leading a freaking break, for God's sakes, and let them go home and have a warm bath? I mean, anyone who's like, I want my own Occupy, it was ridiculously narcissistic. Leading, the idea that we were going to be here until things changed and camp in Oregon through the winter for four or five months, that was going to take some sustained leadership and organization. And frankly, well, anyway, you get my point. (laughs) Leadership is really hard. And what was very interesting, because as most people know, people, our camps got emptied out by the government here in Portland. And some of the people, some of the main organizers said, and that needed to happen. Because we needed to be moved to the next place. The movement needs to be moved to the next place. That we were sort of stuck. What do you do? Occupy another camp? Occupy a bridge? Occupy? I mean, that's not the answer. That got the attention, but it's not the solution. And, and people involved in the movement know that. I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't already know. But this is my point. This is where we are, and we all are there, whether we like it or not. So people are feeling the deep rumblings of sincere doubt that I believe actually stems from inner feelings underneath everything that things are profoundly out of balance and truly unsustainable on one hand. It's a precarious feeling of, oh my God, I've got one foot over the cliff and I'm teetering. And I didn't necessarily take myself there, but that's where we are. And I believe underneath all of this, this is what everyone is feeling, all 100%. So we feel that way, the unsustainability of things on one hand, and the very real feeling that we may not actually be free to live our true purpose and express our uniqueness on the other hand. So I believe that there is a big collective, oh shit, in the dreaming. And I mean that profoundly. That moment of recognition, oh shit, it, we may be too late. And in a sense, it could be called a waking up. However, I have watched people wake up. That's my work. I watch people wake up and I watch people choose to go to sleep again. The red pill or the blue pill, it is your choice again and again, daily, moment to moment. It is your choice the red pill or the blue pill, Neo, it's your choice. So what's happening from a shamanic perspective is that there is a huge potential for change and or transformation 
in a very complex living organism called humanity on earth. And the potential exists in an environment that is profoundly undereducated about energy, about how things really work, about what it takes to lead, about what it means to be a citizen, about who is really driving the bus, and how to simply spend their money. That this potential for change and transformation exists in an environment that remains woefully ignorant about the archetypal energies and the movement of myth in our lives. And in spite of a worldwide spread, uh, world widespread use of the technology of psychology, people are still ignorant of the deeper forces that move and need to move in our lives for us to be well and to make sane, reasoned, inspired decisions. So much of humanity remains ignorant of our responsibility as dreamers or those who might still know their responsibility as dreamers are simply too involved in the day-to-day survival of their lives to have the energy to connect in to the dreaming. So, So this potential exists in an environment weighed down by the unresolved energies of the dead and a collective loss of memory in the living of how to call on the ancestors, the true helping spirits who are already available to us and to assist us in cleaning up this mess. So we fail, even, shamanic, even the shamanic world today, we fail to understand how strongly the unresolved energy of the dead influences us. But we see it all around us in the failure of imagination of what nonviolence looks like and what it could mean as sustained action. So an example would be this situation that just happened at Davis um, with Serge, I don't know, one or two and... Um, the chancellor, who was afraid to come out of the building that was and out front of the building were students who were committed to nonviolence. So there was, in some people's estimation, no real reason to be afraid. The students were committed to nonviolence. They were highly organized and they were nonviolent to the end. But it's the failure of imagination, particularly of those people over the age of 20, of what it could look like if it were different. And why do we fail again and again in imagining a solution other than the ones that have already been done? Because we are being ridden by the unresolved energy of the ancestors. We see reality as they saw it, and we see the responses to reality as they saw it, in spite of reality. That it is a profound weight And this is why my focus right now, frankly, is on ancestral healing. And I have a class coming up December 3rd, uh, 2nd through 4th. Not a bad weekend before all the holiday um, chaos ensues. And almost no one is registered, right? Even Even amongst shamanic practitioners, we do not understand how important this is. If we are ever, if humanity is ever, well... I should say the Western world and the dominating forces right now of humanity are ever going to see, think, and imagine differently. We must get the dead off our backs and out of our heads. So as long as this energy remains unresolved, we see reality as they saw it. We can't get out of the box. We paint the box in fashionable colors and designs of our day, but it's still the same box. As Einstein said, We can't solve problems 
by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. And the issues of the dead keep us locked in exactly this place where we are stuck in the exact same thinking that created the problems. And we will not have any kind of restorative action to this movement, which has created such beautiful and powerful potential at this time, if we cannot think differently. So this potential for change and transformation exists in an environment lacking right relationship with sacrifice, especially in the Western world, and lacking the understanding of sacrifice as that action, which is the currency by which we gain the attention of the spirits to help us to do what appears impossible and frankly would be if we keep trying to do everything by ourselves. That is not the design here on earth. The design here on earth is for humanity to co-create with each other, with the spirit world, with their ancestral helping spirits, with the environment, and to co-create life in a good way. And we are woefully reluctant to sacrifice even what is necessary for our own personal physical health. Right? We don't want to give up our three trips to Starbucks to have enough money to see the acupuncturist. Sacrifice is absolutely critical in the exchange in our relationship between humanity and the spirit world. And we are woefully reluctant to do that. You know, for those of you that have never seen me as a practitioner, you don't know that when people ask, how much do you charge? I say, I don't have a fixed fee. You're required to make a sacrifice to work with me. And I've been doing this for over 20 years and every single person hates it. And so what? That is the truth about the exchange in shamanic healing is it is meant to be a sacrifice. You need to want the help. That is the only way I get permission to work on your behalf. These are the teachings from my indigenous teachers that it must be a sacrifice. It's not a fee. It's not a simple flat fee for everybody, but it's that you need to engage in what you're doing. This is why I could care less whether shamanic practitioners are ever insured and have codes Because I don't want a third party in there because it takes away our understanding of the role of sacrifice in our life to transform, not just change, but to transform. So this potential for transformation exists in an environment filled with good people trying to do what needs to be done by themselves because they have long lost the knowing that we aren't in this alone, that we are meant to do everything with the help of spirit. And that action in the invisible world or non-ordinary reality does affect things here in the physical world or ordinary reality. And we talked about this last week. This is one of the profound um, teachings that Lenore has really found in shamanic activism is that actions taken in the invisible world do affect things here in the physical world. But we know that. Anyone involved in shamanic healing, either giving or receiving it, can see the fact of that every time there's a soul retrieval by an initiated shaman. We see that the action taken purely in non-ordinary reality completely changes a person's experience here in ordinary reality. So this potential exists in an environment with very, very few people who know and practice the clearing forms of humanity's great mystery schools. And at the same time, this potential exists in an environment 
in which things are very different, different even from the 60s and 70s. There are many things in this environment for all the problems right now, all that we don't understand, all of our ignorance and falling away from teachings we need right now. There are many things that exist in the environment right now that make it possible. And there is the simple fact that all that we need is here, right here, right now, because the movement has already happened. Life, the teacher, is telling us the time is now because it's already occurred. This is what's in front of us. So we are ready. The time is now, and everything that we need is here. We simply need to shift how energy of all kinds is allotted and used and recycled by the choices that we are making. The presence of this potential is the call to let go of what no longer serves us so that we can ground in a greater awareness of who we really are. This is a call for clearing energies from the body, energies from the past that make people say things like, my wounded child is alive and well within me and always will be. Your wounded child is waiting to be healed into the child archetype that can lead you on the adventure to this new world we want to live in. But as long as your wounded child is wounded, nothing's going to change. And so this is a call for clearing the energies from the body and reorienting ourselves in space and time. We have all that we need. We simply need to begin to use things particularly ourselves, differently. So back to this Occupy movement. So I would like to turn to um, some help here from a man named Reverend David Alexander, who is part of the New Thought movement, and um, which is here in Portland, Oregon. And he already said this in a blog that he posted back November 10th. It was Thursday, November 10th. So you can find this blog in its entirety at Rev David A, so R-E-V David A, as an apple, dot blogspot.com and just find his blog from uh, November 10th. And you can read the whole thing, which I strongly encourage people to do. Um, or you can go to my Facebook page and link to it from there. Uh, anyway, what he says, and these are, these are his words, and he says this far more beautifully than I do because clearly he is a man who is gifted with the ability to work in the public forum, which is not, sadly, my strong suit, nonetheless. But I, I certainly am happy to turn to those who are more gifted than I. So what he says is the Occupy movement arose from a consciousness that was fed up, tired and weary of the inequality of our world. So this is marked by a desire to be heard, seen, and validated as a kind of significance in the world. He continues that this is a universal desire, something that we all want. We all have the need to be heard, seen, and feel as if we matter to the world, that our presence makes a difference, and that we live in a world where we are empowered and can direct our life with purpose. So whenever one wakes up to the awareness that they have been oppressed or suppressed, the natural desire is to take control and to make one's presence known and felt. So that's what has happened already in the Occupy movement. And so uh, 
Reverend Alexander continues. So once this occurs, the door opens to the next step to take restorative action. But before restorative action can take place, there must be a grounding in a greater awareness of who we really are. And so, everyone, that is the name of the transition we are in right now if we want transformation and and ultimately restorative action. The name of the transition we are in is grounding yourself in a greater awareness of who you really are and who we, humanity, who we really are. So, uh, Reverend Alexander continues, without this grounding, restorative action returns to reactionary and retaliation action. And this is the difference between effective social change movements and ineffective ones. In other words, back to Albert, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. So Albert and Reverend Alexander are in complete agreement and Reverend Alexander is giving us the path forward. And um, I did get a fair amount of feedback from the show last week, but a lot of it had to do with, I am so depressed now. <laughs> what do we do? Um, so if you didn't hear last week's show, I'd encourage you to go find it at the archives. But the show did inspire a lot of questions. And one of them from one listener was this. Your interview and radio program yesterday left me with many questions and a sleepless night. I have been waiting and looking forward for a cultural awakening to a higher consciousness and to wiser people. I think you understand what our collective responsibility is. I came to this country looking for personal freedom. And I'm going to add a little bit here. She escaped as a child from Germany running for her life and came to this country looking for personal freedom, being responsible for myself and family, only to find that in the last 40 years, our freedom has been curtailed by political correctness and crybabies. So she had some questions. One question is, is the energy of the people demonstrating that of spiritual adults or spoiled children? And if they are both categories, do they cancel each other out, therefore leaving a void and allowing forces to come in that could be destructive to society? So this is actually precisely the question that Reverend Alexander is asking us to ask is, who are we? Are we spiritual adults? Are we spoiled children? Are we indigenous? Are we not indigenous? Who, who are we? Why are we here? What do we want? Who are we? And to create the, so the question is, who are we? And then to create the needed grounding in a greater awareness of who we really are, we must ask this question of this movement collectively and of ourselves personally. We are some spiritual adults and some spoiled children and many, many more things. And no, I don't feel that we cancel each other out, nor does that create a void. The void is created by our inability to move into this transitional phase. To stay here in this phase one of getting noticed, um, taking control and getting noticed, is to simply become adolescent rebels without a cause. To stay stuck in that place. Not to do it, but to stay stuck there. We simply become adolescent rebels without a cause. We must sacrifice who we are personally and communally for who we could become. And we must do it right now. In action, action, to not take action, in this place, in this moment of transition, will create a void. 
that will not only call in opportunistic energies, but will call in opportunistic people. And this has happened throughout history, where the failure of the people after they get noticed to move forward um, allows even greater tyrants to take over. So I believe that this is what happened in the 70s, that people were too high and enamored of their altered states as an end, not a means, that they were not able to ground in a greater awareness of who we really are in a functional way that could move them into restorative action. So that's my sense of where we are, and we've been here before. In my lifetime, we've been here before, and I'm not that old. So we need to do it differently this time. So she's and she's been she's older than I am and she says, you know, why did the demonstrations resulting in revolutions not bring freedom that the people were crying out for in Russia or other European countries, in China, in Africa? And so I'm going to turn to Reverend Alexander for this one because he gives two really beautiful examples of how this works and doesn't work. And so now I'm quoting him here for a while from his blog. So example 1, not working. Okay. The Tea Party. This group actually tapped into the same collective frustration and feelings of oppression and suppression that the Occupy movement did. In doing so, they were able to quickly turn this frustration into action in the form of election of Tea Party platform candidates. All of this is part of phase one of social change, frustration, awakening, getting noticed, taking control. However, okay, so... The next phase, then, the transition and action, right? So, however, the Tea Party failed to get grounded in a greater awareness and inclusive vision of who and what we are as a human family. In fact, much of the early Tea Party support was actually funded and organized by those with a divisive agenda. And it was this more divisive agenda and the vision of us versus them that the movement was grounded in. And as a result... Potential restorative action turned into reactionary action in the form of obstructive politics and most recently by ballot measures and policy platforms that only serve to deepen the gap between us and them. The result on election night in 2011 was major defeat and rejection of Tea Party candidates and ballot measures. The Tea Party believed that they could take the general frustration and disenchantment of the people and turn it into support for divisive politics and policies. They were wrong. And the reason is simple. It is a universal principle that all dissonance seeks to resolve itself in terms of harmony. Okay, sidebar from Christina. This is what I mean by people not understanding that there are larger energetic principles at play here. And we have enormous capacity as manifestation machines to make things go however we want them to go. But what we want is not always a good thing, ultimately, obviously. But more to the point, there are still larger energies here like this. The simple universal principle that all dissonance seeks to resolve itself in terms of harmony. In other words, why the frustration or dissonance of the people can be leveraged, it ultimately seeks to resolve itself in greater harmony. Thank you, Reverend Alexander, for your profound clarity. So his second example is the civil rights movement. This movement also begins with a growing frustration, dissonance, inequality, and inequity in our culture. The tension builds until there is a spark of awakening, which leads to boycotts, marches, and sit-ins. That's the get-notice, take-control phase. 
But this movement becomes grounded in a deep spiritual understanding that we are all in this together. We must make a world that works for everyone. This movement was about civil rights grounded in the principle of inclusivity of everyone, not African-American rights. Out of this grounding came the action steps to restore justice and equality for all. The actions of the movement were restorative in nature, restoring us to a nation that reflects its highest moral and spiritual values of including everyone in a single garment of destiny. So, as we all could sit here and say, well, yes, but that wasn't perfect. Well, it's not going to be perfect, people. Back to the thing I said in the very beginning about how profoundly hard it is to lead any group of people towards anything useful. But it did move us forward through a restorative action that did transform things. And yes, it's not done. And yes, there are many places where things are still not equal for all. But this is a new foundation we stand on, and this is what we are looking for now, is a new foundation to stand on in the new world. Not perfect, just new, in a way that restores the problems of the past. So another question was, why did these nations plunge into deeper despair at the hands of their elected officials? And I think that Reverend Alexander has explained that. There was no grounding in a greater awareness to support the action action steps to restore justice and equality for all. It's just exactly the same as the thing I said in the beginning about how if we don't change, transform, actually, between the old relationship and the new relationship, we recreate the same relationship in new pants. And I know that sounds trite, but that's what we're looking at is that exact same energetic principle on a national and global scale. It's not any more complicated than that. And the change happens when the people change because there aren't any nations that exist without people. We are the nations, it's us. And so we're the ones that need to transform. So her next question is, why are, are our presidents that we elect making wonderful promising speeches and then using the same staff and administration of previous administration to continue with the status quo? Well, personally, I think it's because, as I said earlier, the source of the problems go beyond who the president is. The source of the problems goes beyond actually the government at this stage of where we are on the planet. And while it's very easy to become completely crushed under the weight of the truth of what the problems are, I look at it this way. There was actually an ad recently, I don't, an an ad, a cartoon recently. I don't know where it was published, but it was the officials of a city. I can't remember what it was pointing to the people in the park. I think it was New York pointing to these you know, the people, the protesters in the park saying clean up the park while they're on top of this heap of a city that is not cleaned up in so, so many ways, not just New York, but around the world. Anyway, Einstein also said, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. And so I think the true issue here is that we actually expect to elect a president who will do this for us. And the issue is we, the people, need to build a different world. We need to make different choices. We need to create something else and let those who want to play with us come play in our sandbox. 
and not actually fight a war, but simply create something new. And we won't create anything new if we don't do the personal work necessary to ground in a greater awareness of who we are, because we are all of it. Right. What I love about that Einstein quote in particular, and I think this does actually answer the question as to why in America in particular, we can't seem to get it together. Uh, because the, again, the quote was science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. And so what I love about this quote is it actually is telling us the right relationship between science and religion, which is religion or spirituality. In other words, how we engage energetically in our life is the warrior who discerns how we get things done. Do we do it with integrity or not? Do we do it with impeccability or not? Do we do it with a concern for the next seven generations or we do do it with a self-concern? That's what I mean by religion or spirituality is the warrior who helps us to discern how we get things done. Science is the visionary who has the clear vision about what needs to be done. And I think the problem in America in particular, with its supposed separation of church and state. So we have far too many people that believe that religion holds the vision. And it doesn't. What religion or spirituality is meant to do for us is to help us understand how to live in a good way. So what about the big vision for our people is her final question. And I say that the right answer for now is change or die. Actually, it should be transform or die, that the big vision is being shaped in many places all over the world. And there's actually a link that she offered to um, thrivemovement.com. And then there's Will Tegel, who was a guest on the show with his Wild Heart Project. There's Last Mass Center. There are small and large organizations all over the world, some very, very spiritual, some very, very much more intellectual, but they're all over are already thinking about things, already have the skill set, already teaching, already moving in this direction. The big vision is already being created. The issue is if you don't like the vision of where you are, leave. Join others who have the vision that suits you and stop acting like the world is going to work. It's going to follow those bad parenting rule of, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Energy follows what you're doing. If you do not align with the truth or the the truths or the vision professed by something you're engaged in, don't engage in it anymore. This is back to what I was saying about sacrifice. This is all about us and our choices and how we move our time and energy and how we're running out of time. So the collective attention of this nation and in some sense the world has been obtained. Phase one has been accomplished. Now what? Can the shift of awareness be, can this, a shift of awareness, this grounding in a greater awareness of who we are, can it be obtained before the fickle and stimulus-obsessed collective wanders off to be provoked by something else? You know, how many bridges are y'all going to occupy before we realize we don't need to occupy anything right now other than ourselves and a greater understanding of who we are and how are we going to rise on a greater awareness and in, in, es- in essence a spiritual platform that allows restorative action to come from a movement that is global. It's a profound question when you think of its scope, but it is possible if we do it, co-create it 
with spirit. And this is the piece that shamanism has to offer. It's not the whole answer, but it's the piece that shamanic skills have to offer to this puzzle at the moment is how do we co-create this change? So Reverend Alexander poses the question in this way. Will it be restorative action that seeks to unite us in a collective consciousness of the 100% that needs to work together to build a world that works for everyone? Or will it be reactionary and retaliation action that continues to divide our world into us versus them, the 99 versus the one? Um, These categories that must fight each other for supremacy and control. So this isn't about figuring out the demands of the movement at all. This is about creating another way of being in the world. There are people all over the world doing this right now in large ways and small ways. So what must we do? How do we, each of us as individuals, find a grounding in a greater awareness of who we are? That is the question of the moment. And the answer from Last Mass Center is grounding, actual grounding and clearing actual clearing the energies that are held in the heart and the body in real time. And so what I'd like to make a distinction between today is conceptual grounding and actual grounding. So conceptual grounding, I've seen actually all over Facebook as people are asking about this. So conceptual grounding is lying on the earth to feel grounded, putting your belly on the earth. Or sitting at the base of a tree and feeling yourself connected to the tree. So conceptual grounding then is an idea. It is something you can go do, but it is not a state that you've created within yourself. The value of conceptual grounding, lying on the earth or sitting at the base of a tree or something like that, is that it gives you a sense of what grounding is is or can feel like. Actual grounding is the ability to walk through your day as a grounded person. So how do you accomplish that? You clear all of the reasons held within you that you aren't a grounded person in the first place. So that is actual grounding. And actual grounding can come from actual clearing. So conceptual clearing comes from journeys or insight that might have come from an altered state or from insight from some sort of psychological process. And many of these clearing techniques that people are using today with tapping and eyes and, and they clear the angst in the moment. They clear the challenge at the time, but these are conceptual clearings. Again, they give us a sense of what it would feel like to be cleared. But the actual clearing comes from being willing to clear the energy as it's carried in the body that is causing the issues in the first place. So this is a place of, I've actually thought about this quite a bit. It's a place of sacrifice for me and a place of generosity, I hope, is I'm going to talk about what made Class Mass Center special, which before you didn't get to know until you came to do the teachings, but I'm going to describe it right now. How do you move from conceptual grounding or into actual grounding and actual clearing? Okay. So the first thing is you need to discern 
the energy that actually needs to be cleared. And it is not what it seems to be. So there's stuff going on around you that uh, you either think about or it pushes your buttons or you cycle around and around about it. Something's going on in your life that you notice. Or you just someone just holds your attention for some reason. Because there are smoky mirrors and there are clear mirrors. But these are all mirrors out there in our life that help us to see what energy is arising. Now, the trick, however, is that what is reflected in the mirror is not only you, but what is reflected in the mirror is not the energy that needs to be cleared. That's the most important thing to understand. But it leads you to the energy that needs to be cleared. So it's not just you see injustice in the world and you look at yourself and you go, Where, how am I unjust in the world? It's not that simple. And that's why doing work that's based on that back and forth philosophy doesn't get the job done. It's not that it's not valuable, but it doesn't actually clear the fundamental energy. And so what we ask, we look at whatever it is that's in the outer world that's going on, that's got our attention, either for positive or negative reasons. And we ask either what is most pronounced about that in the positive thing, like what is, what is here attracting my attention in one word or two words, or in the situations that have captured us, that are agitating us or irritating us or that our mind is cycling round and round and round about? Or we ask, what do I feel is being done to me? And you need to actually then feel. And this is the trick because most people are trying in their lives not to feel at all. And so you need to feel, hmm, in this situation, what do I feel is being done to me? Disrespect, excommunication, judgment, um, dismissal. What is it? Just one word, not the story, one word. And then you take that one word. And if it's three words, three different things, you can only work with one at a time. And you take that one word and you hold that word in meditation. You let reality go. Let everything around you go and you hold that one word inside yourself and breathe into it, give it life and allow it to find itself. Somewhere in your body will light up. So now if you don't do visualizations in your body, if all of your meditation practices are to leave your body, If all of your work is to journey out there and not be in the body, then you are woefully unprepared to do this. This is, and if all you do is listen to other people guide you through meditations because you only follow what's on a CD or someone else's work, but you haven't yet learned to guide yourself on an inner visualization, then you need to learn this skill. But it's absolutely critical for every adult, not only to be able to journey and connect with their helping spirits, but to be able to journey on the inner visualization inside to connect with themselves in the inner world. And so then you follow the energy within the body and ultimately it will take you in your body to a memory or a belief or an artifact, a thing. And each of these things can be cleared. They, they need to be cleared in a somewhat different way, somewhat different modality, but they each can be cleared where they're held in the body. And so the clearing experience comes from you as an adult 
intervening on that past experience that's being held. Because whether it's a memory or a belief or an artifact, it's a past experience. So you connect then with that energy as a present time person, as the adult you are now with your current consciousness and influence that situation that you are carried in your body in a way that lets all energies that no longer serve you go, allows the part uh, expressed or known or heard to be heard and to express itself, allows any emotions that are being held to be released through being emotional. This is all about feeling and re- reconnecting with feelings that have been shut down and experiences that are incomplete and places where you have not truly been accountable to yourself. And so you gather yourself out of these experiences when you've released all the energies that no longer serve you and bring yourself back. That allows you to gain a greater awareness about yourself, to ground yourself in a greater awareness of who you are. So this becomes then a practice, and there is a form of this practice in the mystery schools, in all of humanity's mystery schools. So do your practice. Clear your own energy and be generous with your time to this clearing. Don't give it the 10 minutes before you're ready to pass out in bed, but be generous. Find a time of beauty to give to your clearing. Find where you are greedy Follow that energy to the part of yourself who lives in scarcity. Find him. Find her. Give them what they need. No one, no thing can fill that need but you. Draw your money out of any system that does not align with your beliefs. Do it a bit at a time as you can. For many of us, the issue is not our money in banks but our debt. So become debt-free as you can. Bring your life into alignment with what you truly value. In this way, your inner self will come to trust you again, and you will transition to a greater awareness of who you are. This holiday season coming up this week in America, give thanks for the blessings in your life. Count them. They are real. And give gratitude for the gifts, the gifts that you are learning from being willing to look at yourself And you gain by leaning into the pointy stick of the things within you that you don't want to look at. Life is abundant with gifts. Let the December holidays be a time for generosity. Be clear what you are creating and manifesting. That and only that in how you choose to engage in this holiday season. All of this matters. All of this helps to shape this transition, this time where we gain a greater awareness of ourselves. And bring our actions, even shopping, into alignment with our true morals and values. The system dies without us. When we take steps to ground in a greater awareness of who we are, there is no system other than us. And it will die without us. So ground yourself in a greater awareness of who we really are. And let us create restorative action together. Thank you, everyone, for joining me here today. I give thanks to the ancestors, especially those who have done this in their time. May they guide us strong and true in our time. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. And next week, we'll explore part three 
um, taking restorative action and how this provides a great vehicle for us to talk about how to use spirit information in our everyday, ordinary, taking action kind of life. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.